Good morning, church. Good morning. All right. Hopefully it is a good morning. No matter what your week has been like, no matter what your morning has been like up to this point, the Lord's mercies are new every day and uh, we can rejoice and, and trust in him. Amen? Amen. So cool that these things aren't just little catchphrases or little whimsical sayings that, that somebody came up with, you know. Uh, but th this is the word of God. This is the the unhindered word of God that is true and living, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting through uh, marrow and bone and, and getting to the heart. Uh, our men's group this uh, <clears throat> this Thursday night uh, th that was the that was the topic and and how how true it is how the word of God just has a way of of getting through all the mess and all the drama and getting straight to the point, straight to the heart of the situation that you and I find ourselves in. And it can, it can, uh, it has the power to redeem. It has the power to reconcile, make us right. And that's a beautiful thing. Amen. Amen. All right. Today, we're going to continue in this theme of Gentiles being saved in uh, the book of Acts in chapter 11. Uh, I've entitled this message Steadfast Purpose, and that's pretty much, pretty much, excuse me, in the text. And we'll see the heart of, of what steadfast purpose means and how we can actually live this out on our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, this morning, we'll see, we're going to find ourselves in the text in a place called Antioch. Have you ever tripped out how some places, you know, current day, they're actually, you know, named after names and, and places, places, excuse me, in the Bible. Uh, well, you guys, if you're from the Bay Area or if you've lived here for any time, you know that there's a place near Vallejo called Antioch. And this city as well has got its name from this biblical city that we're going to learn about today. The name Antioch means speedy as a chariot. I did a little bit of digging to kind of, I wanted to know, well, what was the purpose? What was the meaning, uh, you know, behind how did th this city in next to Vallejo get its name Antioch? Well, from what I found, it was founded as Smith's Landing. That was the name of it before Antioch. But the town minister, somehow he persuaded the residents to change the city's name. And he, he, his desire was to name that place uh, Smith's Landing. He wanted it to become Antioch. And so that's hence how uh, this place in the Bay Area got this name similar to uh, what we find in the Bible. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, we're also in this message, we're going to get reintroduced to uh, a, a godly man by the name of Barnabas. So when we started off in the book of Acts, several chapters in, we kind of, we kind of heard about him. We were briefly introduced with him, uh, to who he was, but we're going to learn a little bit more about him and his character this morning. This son of encouragement, and that's what the name Barnabas means. He, he, he was used to do just this for not only a bunch of new believers in, in the church, uh, newly founded in Antioch, but also for Saul, Saul of uh, Tarsus. And if many of you know, uh, if you don't know, Saul went on to become Paul. His name was changed and he did great things for the Lord. And so we're going we're gonna to learn how the Lord used this man Barnabas to reach out to a whole bunch of people and uh, be used in a glorious way to, to, to edify and to encourage uh, these new believers. There's several main points that I want us to focus on this morning. And the first is this, the hand of the Lord rests upon all those set apart for the service of God. And what that means is simply this, anyone, that's my daughter, <laughs> anyone who truly submits themselves under the authority of and the will of Jesus Christ, they, by the grace of God, will have the hand of the Lord resting upon them. I mean, that's that's so encouraging to me uh, as I hear that, and I pray that it's encouraging for you this morning, because many times we have this idea of, we, we, we read about accounts in the Bible, and read, we read about these different characters in the Bible, and we say, oh, I could never measure up. I'm not 
you know, I can't be used like that. But we have to remember these people uh, that are given account of in the Bible are everyday people, regular people that had hangups, that had faults, that were born sinners just like us, but they were born again just like us when they decided or when they were convicted to see that their need for grace would only come from Jesus Christ and how you and I are are, are grouped in this, this category. Anyone, again, who truly submits themselves under the mighty hand of God will be used in a great way for his glory. The second point that I'd like us to focus on is we are called to exhort and encourage one another in Christ. We're encouraged. We are called to be encouragers to one another. This is a one another ministry. This is not something that you can do simply at your home by yourself. And I know that there are situations where some people are bedridden and they cannot get to, uh, uh, you know, a physical uh, church service. And that's fine for people like that. Mm -hmm. And the Lord understands that. But for those of us that can get out of bed, can take the bus, can get a ride, can drive, we are to be with one another and we are to be an encouragement to one another, to spur one another on along in the faith, in this walk. That is one of the major components as far as believers are concerned within the church. To find our steadfast purpose in Jesus Christ. That is that is something that you and I will continue to unearth and uncover as we continue our walk, continue to live in light of who Christ is. We will be encouraged to have a steadfast purpose and hopefully that purpose is in Christ. And the more you and I get to know him through the reading of the word, through the unction or the speaking of the Holy Spirit into your life and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your physical body, influencing all your faculties, your mind, your emotions, all these things, we're going to begin to understand what our steadfast purpose is, and it is to be in Christ Jesus. Even if the gift of encouragement and exhortation isn't your primary spiritual gift, all believers are called to spur one another on in the faith. I mean, just think about life in general. How difficult, how much more difficult would your life and my life be if we did not have those around us that would come alongside us and encourage us? I mean, Everything in life is set up to pretty much discourage you, to degrade you, to make you deflated. To And that's the big difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and Satan and the world system. You see, the world system is created ultimately, or I should say Satan, the misuse of the world system and what it's become is used to break your spirit. And once your spirit is broken... Do you understand? Do you see why we have all these problems in the world and as sin has gone rampant and people that are not being turned to the Lord, do you see what happens to us as humans, as individuals, once our spirits become broken? That's why you have people running up in schools and shooting up everybody and people being strung out on this and that or people binge watching Netflix for hours at a time and refuse to get up and go, go to work because they're so depressed because their spirit is broken. That's what Satan does. That's what the world does. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the other hand, is all about breaking our will, not our spirit. You see, we have to understand there's a big difference between the two. In the breaking of the will, the breaking of the will is, is done so now we can come under submission to Jesus Christ and be used by him in a greater way and have our lives fulfilled the way he intended. Because by our sinful nature, we are very prideful people, and that will has to be broken. I liken it to a wild stallion. Until that wild stallion's will is broken and put under submission to the, the, the rider, the owner of that animal, it's just all its energy, all its faculties, all, all its abilities are just going to be in vain. But then as that animal is sweetly broken, it can be used for great and glorious things for the owner or for the rider and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to liken us to a stallion, but the reality is because of our wayward bend towards sin, unfortunately, our wills need to be broken. 
The last point that I'd like us to focus on this morning is we should be encouraged and not ashamed to be identified as Christians. We'll get into this a little bit later in the message, but it's amazing to me how so many people want to identify with God but yet the mention of Jesus Christ just brings shivers down people's spine. And this is for so-called believers too. People, we, we, some of us want to profess God, but the minute Jesus Christ is brought up, it's like a pin drop. You can hear a pin drop in the room. It goes silent and people just don't want to stand up for the name of Christ. And we'll kind of learn more about that. And unfortunately why that is, but we can be in the category of those that are are, are proud. There, you know, there is there is a righteous pride. You, you and I should be proud to be recognized as followers of Christ, as Christians, and be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and unpack these verses. And we'll begin with Acts chapter uh, eleven, verses nineteen through twenty-one. I'll read them again quickly, and it says, "Now those who were scattered because of persecution that arose over Stephen." traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So as we begin this portion of scripture, we're going to take a flashback to uh, the beginning of the book of Acts. Remember Stephen? Stephen was the first martyr. He was basically stoned to death because he stood up against the thoroughbred Jews that live by the letter of the law. They opposed the idea that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that he had risen from the dead, who had resurrected, and Stephen called him out on it. And he told the truth, and he was killed for telling the truth. But that single event was the means by which the Lord would reach out to even more people. Because of Stephen, Stephen's life being taken in that manner, that, that, that event catapulted the, the furthering and the spread of the true church in a way that we had never seen before. Here is literally the first example of this apart from Jesus Christ himself going to the cross. This, this, this is how great, and I'm not comparing Stephen's death to Jesus. I'm saying the magnitude of what happened after that. And obviously we know that Christ was in, was in, in the midst and was working through Stephen's death. It's all about Christ. I'm not, I'm in no way trying to, trying to mince my words in that. I'm just saying in these two events, uh, historically were very, very impactful for the growth of the church. The believers of the way, and this is what Christianity was known as way back when. It wasn't called Christian Christianity or, or, or the people weren't called Christians, but it was simply called the way because it was, again, this way of life. Jesus was uh, a rabbi. He was the Messiah. He was a teacher. And so to, to, to live out this lifestyle was to follow along in the ways of Christ. And so these believers of the way were scattered to Phoenicia which is today, if you look at a map, is modern-day Lebanon. Cyprus, this other place that's mentioned here, which is an island country in the Mediterranean, and Antioch, which is today modern-day south-central Turkey. I don't know if it's ghetto like that, but, you know, it's south-central. That's, that's what it's looking like on, on the map. That's some of my dry humor for those of you that get it. These locations cover a wide area for the gospel to be spread. This is what was going on at this time in history. But notice that these early believers, they were pretty particular about who they witnessed to. What does the text say? Who, who did, who did these, these believers witness to? Jews only. Man, that's... that's <laughs> 
and, and, and you know, I, I, I kind of don't really want to bash them because, again, putting yourself in their shoes, you could kind of understand why, because this is what the tradition was. This is what they were raised in. This was the culture that they were grown up to understand, which was what it was acceptable. And so they would only witness to Jews only. But as we have already seen in, in, in previous accounts in the later uh, book uh, chapters in the book of Acts, this would soon change across the board, or I should say this was changing across the board. This whole idea of Jews were the only ones worthy to be shown uh, the grace of God. Interestingly enough, though not all new believers thought that they should only reach out to Jews only. Because we see quickly here, it says, Others spoke to the Hellenists preaching Jesus Christ. Now, that's crazy. The first time I, you know, I, I, I heard this word, I'm like, Hellenist? What is a Hellenist? This is crazy. I just immediately thought, yeah, somebody that's, uh, you know, uh, proposing hell. Because it says Hellenist. I mean, what are they talking about? These, This is just whacked out. But, um, you know, after understanding a little bit more, this, you know, Hellenists, they basically were Greek-speaking Jews. I mean, we know that there were many kind of Jews. There wasn't just Jews that were that were from Jerusalem. Remember, because the, these, these people have been enslaved many times over and scattered, right? And so there were Jews that were in Jerusalem in the, in the northern and southern kingdom, but there were also Jews in different regions of that of the known world at that time. And so these Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. These piece, these people, excuse me, basically <laughs> blended Jewish religious traditions with parts of Greek culture. And that's how you came up with this kind of subgroup, this spiritual subgroup of people called the Hellenists. And, and, and this is what they were identified as. <clears throat> Going back to these unnamed believers, these unnamed disciples who witnessed to these Hellenists, these, these men and women were genuine heroes of the faith. Though they're not mentioned individually by name, they are just named as a group, they were genuine heroes. I say this because they were at the heart of getting the gospel to the Gentiles. They were used to spread the message of the good news to people that did not understand and did not know what the good news was about. So what's the application for us as we look at these first few verses? Well, it's simply this. We must always seek the Lord in what we are to do. And not simply do things because that's what we have done before. Just based out of tradition, just based out of a, 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 a comfortability that, well, this is how we do things. And so this is just how we're going to do them. No, it's better that we seek the Lord on every matter and, and, and be intentional about seeking the Lord's will in every matter. Amen. Instead of just kind of going because, you know, God is a God of new things. He loves new things. He loves to do new things. Obviously, nothing contrary to himself, nothing that's going to be contrary to the principles that he has instilled in the Holy Scriptures. But he may choose to do something a different way. Would you guys be upset if you came here one day and maybe, I don't know, we started with preaching and ended with worship? I mean, I don't know. Is that is that something that that's unbiblical? You know, for some people, that might rub them the wrong way and they may never come back because, you know, hearing Nisa and the other people playing instruments and singing gets you in the groove, gets you in the mood, whatever. But I mean, again, I'm just using that as an example, because, again, if it's if it's not unbiblical, we can't be so rigid to be like, uh, this is not you know, I, I don't like this again. What's personal. Is different from. What's biblical? You know, a personal preference is not a personal conviction. And I'm learning that firsthand in my own life. Going back to these believers uh, from Cyprus and Cyrene. If they just did what everyone else did. In this context, then only the Jews would have heard the good news. 
because it says clearly there were many that only reached out to the Jews, but it was these other believers from Cyprus and Cyrene who reached out to these Hellenists. But they were seeking God and they were in tune with the Holy Spirit. And by this, they humbled themselves. They were submissive to God's direction and God directed them to speak to the Gentiles. Do you see how that works? Unless an individual is seeking the Lord first and in tune with the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Thank you for coming. But then that's not only it. Not that it puts anything on our shoulders. We know everything is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. But again, in this relationship that we have, there's a part that we have to play. And we have to, if the Lord impresses it upon our hearts, this is what I need you to do. And again, it starts with a humble submission, acknowledging the fact that I'm a wretched sinner. God bless you. Apart from Jesus Christ shedding his blood for me, I have no way of making myself right with God the Father. In that whole little scenario right there, which is everything, right? Before you and I die, we have to get that settled. That's the one major thing that every individual no matter what race, what color, what background, what class, we have to settle that before we die. We all know we're going to all die, right? <laughs> we're not all going to live here forever in this beautiful place of Milpitas. Love the smell of Dixon Landing. We're not all going to live here forever like this. There's going to come a day where we're going to depart. I hate saying pass away. I love the idea of passing on because I'm not passing away to nothing. I'm passing on to the next realm that I can't see yet, you know, the spiritual realm. But in any event, this is the one thing that we have to get settled in our minds and in our hearts is do I understand that my only way to be right with God the Father is by accepting this free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers? Because in that is all. All the humility and all the submission, it's all bound up in that. If you can get that one thing figured out, everything, I'm not going to say everything else is going to be a breeze in your Christian walk, but you're going to have a far easier time. You're going to have a far easier time with the opposition you're going to face and the conflict you're going to face and the opposition you're going to face because it's, it's already been implanted in you and you're responding and you're responding in the correct way by humbly submitting yourself before the hand of God. And that is so important, right? Because so many times we struggle with just accepting. Some, so many times we've had so, such a hard time. We, we were carrying burdens from 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know, that's, that's not even our fault, but things that we were born into where it's just hard for us to accept love. It's hard for us to accept that forgiveness, that genuine forgiveness. But that is what the Lord is extending to every one of us this morning. And what he was extending to these Hellenists through these unnamed uh, believers in Cyrene and Cyprus. Humbly submissive. And then God will direct. All this took place in Antioch. Now let's get back to Antioch. What, what, what was going on with this place? What was happening in this location? How is this place relevant in the scriptures this morning? Well, Antioch was considered the third greatest city in the Roman Empire behind, of course, Rome and Alexandria. Antioch was known for its business and its commerce, but also for its immorality. Temple prostitution ran rampant in this place. And I'm not going to get into all the back end and all the details of, of what went on there, but you uh, could just imagine, and if you do a study out uh, for yourself, you'll find that it was pretty crazy, the stuff that 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 people that lived in this, this area in this time, what they did, calling it glorifying God. It is downright just despicable. Picture it this way. Jerusalem was all about religion. They prided themselves on knowing the law. 
being a, a full-blooded Jew, not a Samaritan, not a half-breed. Remember, if you were a half-breed, it's like you're a dog. <laughs> I, you're not even a human. I, I can't, you know, I'm pure blood. I'm pure blood. You, you just, you only have a portion of it, so we don't even consider you. Jerusalem was all about religion. They were all about their religious exercises, their rituals, uh, their rules and regulations that they would, in, 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 you know, uh, impose upon one another to be holier than thou. Rome was all about power, especially in this time. Remember, Rome was the it was the superpower of the world at this time. And, and they prided themselves on, 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 on the way they live, their structure, their, their, their society, uh, their military might. Rome was oppressing any and everybody that would stand in their way. They would crush them like cockroaches. Rome was the superpower. Alexandria was all about intellect and, and, and knowledge and, 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 and amassing uh, a great wealth of, of, of just intellect. This is what they were about. And Antioch was all about business and sex. That's what this city was about. It's interesting because it kind of sounds like America, all about business and sex, man. You you, you look at, uh, you know, everything that goes on. You go to the grocery store and every tabloid and magazine that you see going on your way to the checkout at Safeway, if you still use, you know, people and don't go through the machine, that's all you see. It's about business and sex. And this is what went on in this culture. But this extreme picture shows how great God's love is for his creation. In the book of Acts, we've just touched and talked about Cornelius, right? Remember Cornelius? He was, uh, he was a commander of a, uh, of a centurion, and he was a God-fearing man, though he was a Gentile, and he was seeking the Lord, though he didn't fully know who Jesus Christ was or who God was at the time, right? And the Lord came to him. That's, so that sounds about right in my mind. He had respect for God and he lived a moral life. So one would assume, of course, God would come to him. He was seeking the Lord. He was trying to live a godly life. But what about these men and women in Antioch? This was a pagan city. And yet the Lord revealed himself to them as well. I mean, it's like, I don't know. Take Frisco. I mean, San Francisco is a crazy place. I, 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 I mean, I, I lived up there for a time when I was younger and I had many friends that lived up there. And then I, I, I really enjoyed that place. But it's also real grimy and real crazy. And, and uh, it gets real nasty. Even in the daytime, it gets nasty in San Francisco. That's kind of like that. That place. As, as, as crazy and as pagan as San Francisco is, the Lord is still revealing himself to the people who occupy that land. So what's the application for us? How does this apply to your life and my life? Well, the reality is this. Anyone, hear me now, or hear God's word, I should say. Anyone is a prime candidate to get saved. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ unless we shut ourselves off to him. Unless we, like Pharaoh, harden our hearts and say no well, we wouldn't say I wouldn't let I'm not going to let your people go. But no, I'm not going to let my heart go. I'm not going to allow you to come into my life. I'm not going to allow you to be the Lord of my life. The reality is this. If anything, it's those that have the most prestige, the most success, the best looking, those who have the most money. These are the people who are the hardest for the Lord to break. These individuals are the hardest. Does anybody know why? You can say pride. we're an interactive church. Yes, pride. That's definitely part of it. What else? If you have all the money, if you have all the success, if you have all the good looks, I mean, if you're a dude, you're shredded. You got no body fat. If you're a woman, you could fit into Minnie Mouse's skirt. You got no pimples. You got no blemishes. Your teeth are straight. You got, no, you know, you don't got, you never have bad breath. You don't have a hair out of place. If you have all these things going for you, do you think you're going to be relying on Jesus? 
Or are you going to be relying on the fact that, oh, my hair is just glowing like Rapunzel or my bank account is so long, man, it's nothing. I can throw like a football 50 yards. I got so much bread. It's all it's nothing. I could buy anything. I could pay off anybody. Right. So you see, when, when we have all these things in our pockets, when we have all these accolades and all these initials after the end of our name and people are calling us doctor so and so and this and that. And, you know, it's hard for us to, like you said, Mark, humble ourselves. Why well, I got to humble myself, homie, I got a Ph.D. I went to Harvard. I went to Yale. I got my doctorate wherever, wherever. Uh, I mean, you don't want to humble yourself. Why? Because I worked for this. I've established this. I'm self-made. I have all this going for myself. And so if we find ourselves in those places, it's going to be extremely harder for us to be broken and to humble ourselves because we have a lot that we can replace God with. And it's unfortunate, but that's kind of the way it works. And maybe we don't even have half of those things. And we still struggle with, I'm not allowing the Lord to break me. Again, remember, he's not trying to break your spirit, but he is trying to break your will in order to allow you to be in a position to be used by him and to be built back up. Remember the potter and the clay. If he is the potter, he has the right to create the vessel however he wishes. And if the vessel has any kind of blemishes or or, or air bubbles in it, he'll break it. And he'll shatter it so he can reuse the clay and remold the clay into his own liking to be a benefit. The Bible says he does not create a mug or a glass just for it to simply sit on a shelf, but he will create that cup so it can be poured into and then be poured out. And that is our lives and your lives and my life, excuse me, for us to be created, to be something to be used to be poured into the Holy Spirit, to be poured into our lives, and then for us to be poured out into others. That is how the world will know Jesus is who he is. Because of your testimony and your life and your reflection of Jesus in your life. An example of this whole idea of people with prestige having a difficult time. What better examples than to use but are found in the Bible? Look at our brother Moses. Remember, Moses went from the palace, Pharaoh's palace, to the backside of the desert. I mean, when he was in the palace, he had everything. He had handmaids. He had servants. He had the best robes. He had the best cologne. He had everything that any individual would want. At that point in time, he was living the royal life. But in order for the Lord to groom him and cultivate him and to get him ready and prepare him for the ultimate purpose of his life, he was stripped of everything. He lost his family. He lost his identity. He lost his prestige. He lost his power. And he was in the back end of the desert for 40 years, tending to sheep as a shepherd. If that's not humbling, I don't know what is. If you've ever experienced something like that to the magnitude of you had this identity, you had these things going for yourself, only for it to be stripped away for the Lord to cleanse you, scrub you up and build you back up. It's amazing. I've gone through that in my own life and I, I attest to that. For some of us, it takes a whole lot to be taken away from us in order to be put in a position where we could be used by the Lord. Amen. Lastly, we see here that the Lord's hand was with them. Speaking of these believers who shared the good news of Jesus Christ to people other than Jews, not just Jews, but to all people. It says that the Lord's hand was with them. Because God was with them, their ministry multiplied. It was only by God's hand that people turned to God. It was only by God himself. That's what it's meant to mean. Because the reality is you can use gimmicks to get people to come to a church service and have an emotional experience. There's plenty of that going on. You can use all these promises and how financially better off people are going to be if you just give to the church and, and, and do this and that. But it won't work. It won't have any staying power. But only the hand of God, hear me now, only the hand of God 
can change a person, taking them from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. Only God can do that. A preacher can come up and talk good and convince you and persuade you to to do this and that or to try to stop doing this and that or come to this church because we have this and we'll always have cookies and we'll have ponies and, you know, we could play poker after and Texas hold them and do all this and, you know, this and that. And it'll keep you for a little bit. But if you're looking for true groundbreaking, life changing transformation in your heart of hearts, I'm talking about the stuff that keeps you up at night that only you and God know about that you're crying about when nobody's around. If you're looking for change in that, that only comes from the Lord. John chapter 5, verse 24 tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You see, That's something that only God can do. The conviction that comes upon one's heart, the understanding that there's something greater than me that I am accountable to, no matter how much I run, no matter how much I hide, no matter how much I ignore, I'm accountable for every single thing I've done in my lifetime. And that Jesus Christ was the only one who could go to the cross and bear your sins in mind, past, present, future. That's something only he can do. Nobody can do it for you. As much as I love my son and my young daughter, they, my job is to raise them and point them in the direction of Jesus Christ, but I cannot walk their walk for them. I cannot accept Christ for them. And many of us as parents, we try to do that. We have to understand you have to allow the Lord to do it. Again, we take upon burdens that we are not called to bear. And it's very difficult with people that are closest to us because we want the best for our loved ones. We want the best for our family. But I will, I will say this, and this is a, this is not a side note. This is why we have to continue to pray, continue to intercede for those around us, for our loved ones. Maybe it take, maybe it'll take 20, 30 years. Maybe it might not happen until they're on their deathbed. But if you stop praying for your loved ones, then what do you expect? They don't even have a fighting chance. So no matter what it looks like, you got to keep praying. You have to keep interceding because if you look at your own life, there was somebody in your sphere of influence that interceded for you when you were wayward and you were a rebel and you were just a a sinner living your life. That goes back to that whole thing of being poured into and being poured out, right? It's a beautiful picture. I love the word of God and how it's just how, how vivid it is and how, 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 again, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, 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 it cuts to the heart of the matter, and it shows us clearly what is of importance and what needs to be done. And the good thing is all we have to do is submit. You don't even have to come up with the answers. God is so gracious, he'll give you all the answers. You just got to submit, you know? It, it, it's the reality of, I can't do it. You know, with the, with the, with the four and a half, with a four-and-a-half-year-old and a, a three-month-old, I'm constantly saying that. I'm not the most patient by any stretch of the means at all. And I'm constantly like, Lord, I, can't, I, can't. I was like this last time. My wife, uh, you know, my, we just recently moved out to a new place and, you know, we're getting situated. And my, my wife is a very good thrift shopper and she loves everything organized. And so she made this run to this store and went to Costco and I'm going to go out to Target. I'm getting more stuff. Uh, I, you know, I made a joke. She was telling her mom. Oh, yeah. You know, come, come with me. We're going to you know, we're going to I'm going to go to Target. And then I, I, I said, yeah, uh, she'll, she she's not going to be back till one in the morning. Don't worry. She'll make it back. So she, before church in the morning. And, uh, you know, that's a true story. My, my daughter was two weeks old and my wife and my mother in law were out with her till one in the morning shopping, going crazy. But anyway, so I was back with the kids last night. It's like nine thirty, ten o'clock. And I'm almost crying. I'm like. This, this baby will stop crying. I already fed her four ounces. I fed her two more ounces. This kid's talking about he wants more cookies. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm all stressed out, you know. But I love how the Lord constantly reminds me, yeah, you can't do it. You can't. You can't be a good father on your own, you know. And every time I want to rear back, 
the Lord reminds me, the wrath of man never produces the righteousness of God. I'm not saying my son doesn't get pow-powed, but the reality is the Lord reminds me, you know, I can't, you know, I just can't be getting frustrated like that and thinking that my frustration is going to make it better. All that to be said, we just need to submit. All right, let's go ahead and look at verses 22 and 24. And it says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. There's that phrase. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So here we are reintroduced to Barnabas. If you recall the first time he was mentioned in the book of Acts, it was chapter 4. He had sold a field that he had owned and gave it to the disciples as an act of uh, obedience to the Lord. This is what the Lord had put on his heart to help uh, the uh, others in within the church that did not have. That's what they meant by they shared everything. And we know the other side of this, ooh, that was not good. Ananias and Sapphira, I don't want to get into that, but you know what I mean? Oh boy, was like, well, both of them. They're like, we're going to sell it, but then we're going to fake it, and we're going to act like we really sold everything, but we're going to keep some back for ourselves. And what happened? They both ended up dead. You know, that's crazy. And then they said, you know, Peter, the apostle Peter was like, you didn't even have to, you could have gave 10% if you wanted to. You could have gave 1%. You should have just been honest. You, If you wanted to, you know, keep 25%, you wanted to keep 50% for yourself, just say, you know, that would be crazy. If somebody gave here today and then they just dropped dead, <laughs> it's like, dude, you know what I mean? I mean, the reality is it doesn't matter. We're not, we're not a church like that, but it's like, man, whatever, man. You got $5 if that's what you feel, because it's like, don't let me persuade you. I don't, you don't want to give, don't give. That's not, I don't care. This is not my church. This is the Lord's church. Those doors are going to stay open because he wants it open. If he doesn't, he's going to close them. But the reality is our giving or our non-giving is between us and the Lord, you know? So don't ever allow some individual to persuade you and to think that you should or shouldn't give. And don't let your own self persuade you into thinking you should or you shouldn't give. You need to seek the Lord on the matter and allow him to give you the peace. Because, again, we know about that little old lady. She gave, a, what was it, a mite, Daniel? Two copper coins, right? Which in our in our currency is less than a cent. And but, and but it was said to her that she had gave and given more than all these men who had all these bags of coins and gold and, you know what I mean, flossing, trying to act like they were tight. Because, again, it's a matter of the heart, right? Don't give because you want to be seen. Give because th 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 that that's what the Lord has put on your heart. And it's not just finances. It's of your time. It's of your emotion. It's of your effort. It's of who you are. When we do things simply to be seen, that is our reward. That's a sucky reward. Like, I don't want y'all saying, oh, that was a good service because that's not, I'm not looking for that. I learned that firsthand from my wife. One of the first times I preached years ago, the Lord told me, don't ever ask your wife how the service went. <laughs> because it's not about, it's not, and it's not being rude, but it's not about her. It's not about her response. It's not about what she says. It's about what does he say about the situation? If I can't walk away from this pulpit knowing that I've prepared, he's shown me, he's prayed me up, I'm just reflecting and sharing what he's shown me throughout the week, then that's a bad look on me. And for you, the same. So don't do things to get the applause of men or women, but do it because you want your heavenly father. Amen. Back to Barnabas. In Acts 9, Barnabas was used to warmly accept Saul. It was this same Barnabas who the church in Jerusalem sent to Antioch because they felt he was the man for the job. Barnabas was sent because he was a godly man and he was willing and able. So what is the application for us? What does this mean to your life and my life? Well, it simply means this. The Lord doesn't care about prestige or talent. He will work through anyone who will humble themselves 
but he will refuse to work through pride. You see, that's why I'm getting to the point and I'm understanding now. See, our, our, my, my buddy Caesar here, I keep joking with him. I'm telling him, man, you're going to end. I don't know, man. You're going to end up preaching, bro. And he's like, no, no, bro. I can't do it, man. I, I don't even like reading. I can't. I didn't do good in school. And it's like, homie, it's not about that, bro. It's about your character. It's about the conduct of the nature of who the Lord is creating you to be. The Lord doesn't care about if you went to seminary, dude. I don't belong up here. I'll tat it up in my background. I don't belong up here, but it's not about that. It's simply about, do you understand who you are and who the Lord is? Have you come to a point in your life where you're like, I just need to submit. Lord, even help help me to submit me. A lot of times it, we can't even submit. I get that. But you can pray about that and ask the Lord, break my heart. Help me. That's real. That, that, those are raw prayers. <laughs> That's like when someone says, I'm praying for patience. Do you know what you just asked for? You're going to have a mess on your hands because as J. Vernon McGee says, and I love that man, God bless his soul. You only learn patience through the trials of life. Things don't just happen all whimsical and diamonds and rubies and roses and fruitcake. And I don't know who likes fruitcake. It's disgusting. But it doesn't happen when everything's all nice and glamorous. It's when things are difficult and, and it's you're in the trenches and it's dark. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, truth be told, there are good times in life, but there are a lot of difficult times. The difficult times produce the character that the Lord wants to carve and create in your and mine life. It's not from the good times. The good, if the if the good time, all the good times really do is make it more easy for us to just shy away from God and stop depending on him. Because like I said before, if you look good, if you got money, if you got prestige, you really don't rely on God. And if you do, you're really blessed because you have that balancing act down correct and you're not wasting what the Lord has given you. If anything, you're being a very good steward of the resources that God has given you. Because I don't want to paint that picture that wealthy people are not good Christians. But it's all in your heart, because I know plenty of people who are well off and who are fortunate, but they give so much of themselves and their time and their resources. And they're not hoarding and amassing wealth like that man who said, I'm just going to build barns and retire. And the Lord said, you fool tonight. Your soul is required of you. What a shame to live like that. Right. It's all responsibility that the Lord gives to us. All right. Next, we see that Barnabas saw the grace of God working in the believers in Antioch, and he was glad. This is beautiful. This should be your heart and my heart. When we see the grace of God working in people's lives, we should be happy. We should be just encouraged. We should be glad that we're seeing the grace of God working. The application is this. It is important that others see the grace of God at work among us as believers. Others should not see an emphasis on self, on man-made rules, or human performance. They should see the glorious grace of God, and it will make them glad. Amen? Because it's either like, like people say today, young people, I think they say that. You don't want to be a hater. <laughs> you don't want to be a hater hating on people. Oh, man, you got this going from that. Ah, you know, backbiting, talking bad, gossiping about them. Oh, you know her. Ah, yeah, she, she don't deserve that, man. I'm good. You know, it's like, it's not about that. You know, when people are doing well, we should say praise God. You know, be happy for them. Be encouraged for them, you know. Because when, when we don't live like that, you know the only person that you're hurting is really yourself, right? You're the only one going away embittered, you know? They're not tripping off the fact that you, well, hopefully they're not tripping off the fact that you're tripping off them, you know? It shouldn't even be like that. It's just like, just love on them, man. It's all good. Don't let that persuade your countenance and the way you view life based on other people's success. It's unfortunate when we go that route. Psalm chapter 46, verse 4 says, 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy inhabitation, excuse me, the holy habitation of the Most High. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And what that means is when you're truly, again, submitted, humbled before God, allowing him to do the workings in your life, you're going to be filled with the fruit of the spirit, peace, joy, love, happiness, patience, perseverance, all these things. You're going to be glorifying God for the things that he's doing in people's lives. You're not going to be embittered by the fact that you see somebody doing this and that. The pulpit isn't political, but I am going to say it. People will dog out Donald Trump all the time. I don't care what your political view is. All I'm going to say is this. What does the Bible tell us to do for our leaders? Pray. So don't nobody care if you like them or you don't like them or you want Bloomberg or you want this and you want that. Because the reality is we don't want to go even more liberal than we're already going liberal or else it's really going to become a mess. But the reality is. Pray for that man. Pray for the cabinet. Pray for the Senate. Pray for these men and women that are put in position of responsibility in the United States of America. Don't sit there bashing. You can have your view. You can have your opinion. That's fine and dandy. But if you are a true born-again believer, you should be on your knees praying for these people. That's what the Lord should be hearing. Not the bickering, not the complaining, not the whining, not the arguing. Right? We need to pray. I don't know why we get away from that as Christians. And then we wonder why things aren't working out in the world or in our lives. But how often do we go before the Lord and pray and, 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 and actually even understanding the whole uh, order of praying? We don't just run up and give a laundry list. We should be asking for repentance. And before that, we should be giving him the praise, the honor and the glory. It's not some ritual and it's not some formulaic way. It's the order. We serve a God of order. And this is what I'm talking about. This steadfast purpose, walking with the Lord, these things will become revealed to you. You know, I'm a dumb sheep. I'm not a smart person. But it's because the Lord has revealed these things to me that I understand them as I go throughout my life now. And the same can be for you. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is for many of you already. I'm just preaching to the choir. You guys know these things. But this important prayer, the emphasis of prayer is so important. <laughs> We, we see truly that Barnabas was the right man for the job, and he was in his element. Not only was he glad to see the grace of God being poured out on these new believers, but he encouraged these new believers to continue in the Lord. He displayed selflessness, not selfishness. He was used to strengthen the church family by being a true leader within the church. The application is this. Those who serve in the Lord's church should be those who selflessly care for other believers left under their leadership. All believers, young and old, need support. And I'm not talking age-wise, I'm talking spiritually. Spiritual babes in Christ and mature men and women of the faith that are feasting on the meat of the word need support. When believers are not supported, you will find immaturity, resentment, and backbiting of all kinds. And that's a that's a, simply a reflection of the leadership of that church because people are not being supported and encouraged the way they should be. On the other hand, this is what it means to remain steadfast with purpose in Christ. And the reality is this, this is the difference between building your house on sand and building your house on the foundation of the rock, which is Jesus Christ. We know that parable, right? That Jesus taught about building your house on sand and building your house on the rock. And when the winds and the rains came, that house that was built upon sand just fell and shattered and broke because the foundation was trash but the house that was built on the solid rock, the foundation of Jesus Christ withstood. Notice the Bible describes Barnabas as a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. This is important. Hear me, church. This is important because you can't give 
what you don't already have yourself. You see, a lot of us, we want to preach, and myself included, we want to talk about this and talk about that and share this and share that, but we don't even got our own situation straight. And we're over here trying to fix somebody else, trying to fix somebody else's life. The Lord constantly shows me this about my kids, about my son. He's like, get your mind right, get your life right, get your actions right, and then maybe your son will fall in line and submit. You wonder why you got kids that are unruly? Look at yourself in the mirror. I know that's a harsh word, but it's a loving word. And I'm not trying to scold anybody. This is just what the Lord is showing me in my own life. So take it with a grain of salt. If you're the perfect parent and your kids are great, then more power to you. God. I'm just saying that's what has been revealed to me. And in marriages, too. You wonder why your husband is not. Why your wife's not falling in line. We got to take a look in the mirror and be like, man, Lord, if my relationship with you right, because it's been said, if this is right then this horizontal relationship is going to be well. If this has got a bunch of issues and cracks and holes and flooding and it's all just messed up and soggy and nasty, then don't expect these relationships to be working well at all. It's just it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Take it up with the Lord. It's not me. <laughs> Speaking again of Barnabas, he was used greatly by God because he humbled himself to be an instrument of the Lord. And this is why we see a great many people came to the Lord. This is the plan for church growth spoken of in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And I'm not going to read those verses. If you'd like, you could look them up on your own time. That's the address of the verses. I'm speaking of servant leaders here. Servant leaders in the church they dedicated themselves to building strong, healthy Christians. The body grows as saints are equipped for ministry. If we question why the church isn't growing, meaning maturing, it is because we are doing a poor job of discipling believers. And this, again, it goes back to this chain, and this is a one another ministry. It doesn't, it's not supposed to end with you. The newest person that comes to the building that we have not seen, those are the people we need to run to and we need to support and we need to encourage because they in turn are going to be used to spread the truth of Jesus Christ to their sphere of influence. And that's how it keeps going. But if we just let people walk out the door and we don't say hi and we don't engage ourselves and we don't, we don't get involved in each other's lives outside of this room, then really we're just playing church. I'm just keeping it real. We're just playing games because this is not what it's about. This is commanded by the Lord, but I liken it to a huddle in football. Nobody goes to a 49er game and pays $150 to sit for four quarters to see 12 men or 11 men on both sides of the ball stand with their butts like this in a huddle. Everybody wants to see what they do once they break from that huddle and get to the line of scrimmage. And now it's time to get down to business and we're going to score a touchdown or we're going to stop a drive. That's what this is. This is the game plan. It's what you and I do once we leave this building that makes all the difference in the world. Because if we're not applying what we learn here, again, we're just playing church. We're just looking cute. We're coming here. We're being funny. Oh, it's nice. And we have no involvement with one another. We should, you know, you should have the best of friends in this room. You should. You should. Shame on us if we don't engage with one another outside of this building, because that's, that's just that's not what we see in the Bible. Again, we wonder why. Why is the church not doing what the church is supposed to be doing? Because we're not we're not utilizing the principles that are found in this book. It's one thing to get it in our minds. It's another thing to get it in your heart and get it to your feet. I stress this because I'm tired of seeing people falling by the wayside and and, and, and not being engaged. We need to be engaged for your own benefit, for mine, for the people that the Lord's going to put in your path. I don't apologize if this is harsh this morning. I don't mean to come across like that, but there's a, there's a, there's a seriousness here, folks. There's a seriousness here. Last two verses, I promise. 25, 26. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. 
And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Here we see the next interaction between Barnabas and Saul. This wasn't the first time that they linked up. This is so important here, and don't miss this. The key thing here is remembrance. The Lord brought back Saul to Barnabas' mind, and he in turn sought out Saul. The application is this. We are not to forget those the Lord has placed in our paths. How many times have we had an encounter with someone and we thought nothing of it? You saw somebody at the gas station. You saw somebody at the gym. You you brush shoulders with somebody at work, somebody that you just see from afar. You don't think nothing of it. I don't think nothing of it. Better yet, how many times have we had multiple encounters with the same person only to fail to see the Lord's hand at work in the situation? The point is this. It's important how we look at others that we are brought across in our sphere of influence and it's, in, it's in, just as it was important for Barnabas to see this inter interaction with Saul. The text goes on to say that for a whole year, they got together and they taught, they encouraged the church, and many came to faith. If this interaction between Barnabas and Saul never took place, who knows what would have happened in the life of Saul? Who knows if Saul would have became who he was to become in the Lord? We just don't know. But we do know that Barnabas took clear advantage of what the Lord revealed to him. He brought something and someone to his remembrance and he acted upon it. You know, how many times do we have great intentions, but we just don't act upon it? We just say, oh, I, you know, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. <laughs> you know, we do the little Christianese, but we don't, you know, again, where the rubber meets the road, we don't actually do it. We just talk. We just talk like a bunch of chatterboxes. Your, hmm, I'll ask this question. I'm sorry. Who is the person in your life the Lord is trying to encourage through you? Just think about that for a minute. Who in your life, there should be at least one person in your life that the Lord is trying to encourage through you. No matter how long you've been a Christian, the Lord is trying to influence this person through you. Your obedience or disobedience could be a key factor in that person coming to know the Lord and growing in their faith. Lastly, we see that these believers in Antioch were the first called Christians as the worship team comes up, or as Nisa comes up, one woman band today. Up to this point in the book of Acts, the followers of Christ have been called many things, but not Christians. And you, you feel welcome to start playing or, you know, play the background whenever you want. It's all good. You know, I prefer the music. For example, Acts chapter 1 Verse 15, they were called disciples. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, they were called believers. Acts chapter 5, verse 32, they were called witnesses. Acts chapter 6, verse 3, they were called brothers. Acts chapter 9, verse 2, they were called followers of the way. Acts chapter 9, verse 13, they were called saints. Back then, soldiers in the Roman army would identify themselves with the general's name they were serving under by adding a I-A-N. So an example, a soldier under Caesar would call himself a Caesarean, if that's correct. I was about to say Caesarean. <laughs> you don't want to be that. <laughs> Called himself a Caesarean. Soldiers under Jesus Christ would be called Christians. The application is this. Because as true followers of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to be identified with him. Like I said earlier, many people want to identify with God or a religion, but not identify themselves with Jesus Christ. Again, there are many of those. I'm a, I'm a sports guy. They get up and they say, I'd like to thank God. Why not just say Jesus Christ? If the, he's in your heart, why not, I, I, why not acknowledge him? Why just use this broad statement and say God? Because there are many gods, little g. 
but to identify yourself with the true and living God who is Jesus Christ. This is extremely specific and countercultural and not popular, but we're not here to be popular. We're here to be biblical. Before we identify with being Protestant or Roman Catholic or even like us, non-denominational, we need to be identified as Christians. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into the glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I mean, that verse is crystal clear. If we are ashamed of Jesus Christ now, when we go before the Bema seat, when we go before the judgment of God Almighty, he will be ashamed of us. We want to be those that hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter my place of rest, not depart from me. I never knew you. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for, for you and for your word that's true and living. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, it's only by the shed blood of your son that we are made right by you. And we thank you that we can have this relationship that's never ending, undying because of what your son has done for us. Thank you for the person of the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer. And Father, I pray that you would do a work, that you would continue a work in the hearts of all your people and, and even those, especially those that have not come to the place where they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. Lord, it's not about a man standing up here and preaching. It's about your word. It's about your truth going forth. It's about people's hearts being renewed by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and only you can do it. So, Father, I, I plead, I beg, I ask that you would go before your people and do that mighty work. Father, as we do take a time to have communion and partake in this and understand the truth of what's been done for us, Lord, we know that the Bible says to take it in an unworthy manner is to call judgment upon ourselves. So for those of us who are believers in Christ, may we examine our hearts before we go to that back table and partake of that piece of bread and that little cup of juice. And would we allow you to do that work in our hearts? Help us to be right with you. Help us to submit to your authority to made right all the things that need to be made right in our hearts Lord let conviction take its toll and then let your encouragement and your love and your building back up be done in our lives before we loosely take that cup and that bread for those of us that have not proclaimed Jesus as our Savior and Lord may we not feel that we have to do it because it's not a thing for public it's something that's personal between us personally and you and so we pray that that time would come for those that don't know you, that they would one day partake of the cup. In any event, we just ask that your hand be upon the remainder of this service. May your will be done. May you be glorified. May you be pleased with our service here this morning. Father, we thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's mighty name, amen.